God, we thank you for being so good and so faithful. God, you really are our shepherd. And God, we thank you, God, that that you have been faithful in every situation, in every circumstance. We have come to give you glory, but also to fix our eyes upon you. And God, as we have come to honor you, I pray, Father, that you would give us all ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, your word says that we do not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Lord, I pray that as I speak here in these next few moments, God, that you would give me your words and that we would hear your voice for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, today's uh, title is called Cramming for the Test. And uh, to kind of set it up, I, you know, was having a little bit of a flashback of growing up and, you know, going to public school and all that sort of thing. And you know, one of the things I, I, I kind of realized is that my teachers had different goals than, 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 the, than myself and the other students. You know, as it, when it came to a test, a teacher had this idea, kind of a wild idea if you think about it, that they want to teach these kids an important lesson, and they have this idea that this important lesson is going to help them later in life. And so if you're in seventh grade, you're, you know, if you, you know, your teacher probably said something like, you know what, you gotta, I'm making this hard for you, but you've got to learn this stuff because when you go to eighth grade, it's going to be harder. They're going to be meaner up there, so you got to, and, and every teacher along the way is saying, listen, I'm not tr- just trying to teach you random facts and history and math and all this stuff. There's a reason I'm teaching this to you. I'm teaching you these things and I'm making you have these tests because you are going somewhere, and where you are going, I have to get you prepared. Now, me as a student, and probably a lot of us in the room, probably did not go to math class, algebra class, and think to myself, you know what, I want to be prepared for my future. We thought, you know what, I just want to pass. I want to get the tests done. And so what I would do is I would cram for the test. And you know, when it comes to cramming for the test, what do you do? You know, you kind of, that day before, maybe if you're a really good student, two days before, you just start pounding your brain with short-term memory. And I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a I, don't, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's in the frontal lobes. But you like literally just cram everything you can shovel in there to temporarily get you by. And then you just plow through however late it is, and it's one in the morning, and you, you gave your best shot, and you go to bed, and you take your test, and you... You hope you can wing it and guess right and ask the Holy Spirit if it's multiple choice. I don't think there's anything wrong. Holy Spirit, is it A, B, or C? You know, it's like, just, just roll with it. I have literally gotten some right answers and got some good grades by following the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and so I'm thankful for that. I, I, was, I was actually looking at how to spell the word cramming to make sure I was spelling it right. But I, I saw this from topuniversities.com. They said cramming is essentially trying to stuff a load of information into your short-term memory in time for an upcoming exam. This has been proven to increase stress levels and can lead to panic and anxiety, making it a lot harder to take in information. And I'm like, that is, that's the Christian walk. That's the Christian walk. What do we have? Tests. We have tests. 
Now, our teacher has a completely different agenda than we do. We're like, God, make it easy, make this cushy, get me through it, you know, get me married, get me kids, keep me healthy, get me the job. And God's like, oh, no, no. I love you so much that I've got to prepare you for your future. And so God has goals that are different than our goals. And so we, we have, you know, we want everything to turn out good, and so does God. But God looks at things and says, all right, we've got to, We've got to have a test here, and we've got to prepare you for that test. And a lot of times, we as Christians, we have a teacher who is trying to prepare us for the tests that are happening next week, tomorrow, one month, five years from now. But a lot of times, we don't retain what we are being taught because our goal is not to retain. Our goal is not to be prepared. Our goal is to survive. And so what happens is, is when the test comes and something financially, you know, breaks, or relationally things start falling apart, or we're, you know, our security isn't so secure, whatever it is, in those moments, we panic, we try to cram, we try to figure it out, and we do a lot of short-term memory things, try to pull ourselves through this. And so, and so I want to talk to you today about this idea of the tests that God is preparing us for and how we can learn and grow and partner so when we are tested, not if, but when we are tested, we're, we're actually kind of prepared. We kind of have some tools. And the good news is every situation, every situation you're currently facing or will face, your Father in heaven has prepared you or is preparing you and you are not without equipment. You have equipment. And so today I want to talk a little bit about this equipment, and obviously this is not going to be exhaustive because if it was exhaustive, we'd be here a long time. Um, but many of you guys are probably familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, yes, is in, in Indiana Jones, and I, I kind of wish I brought it, we have one upstairs, I wish I brought it out, but it's so big and it takes up, you know, hard to get to. It's kind of buried. But the Ark of the Covenant was essentially a box that God wanted Israel to build in the Old Testament. Now, this box had like these, these poles that were connected to it, and this box could be carried and lifted by people. So they would have uh, Levites who would pick this thing up and they would carry this box. Now, this box was, uh, had uh, gold around it, like a molding on it, so it looked goldish. It was like a goldish box with poles, and then on the very top, there was this lid. Now, this lid had a, was called the mercy seat. And that was essentially the place where when they would sacrifice uh, the lamb once a year, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And there would be blood on it. And so it would be this idea that God is going to show mercy to us and forgive us of our sins because of the blood of the lamb that was slain. You can see how it's Old Testament foreshadowing of Jesus. You guys with me? Are you with me so far? This is all going to come together for good, so just pay attention. So you have this mercy seat, and then you had, there were a couple of cherubim angels, one on each side, and they would face each other, and they were kind of facing down a little bit. And they were, you know, some think more praisers, and some think more guardians, but the big idea is that mercy seat 
was where the throne of God was. So God would come and manifest his presence in a special way on his throne. He would rest on the place of mercy where the blood of the lamb created a place for God to rest on the ark. Now, what I want you to see as we get into this is that the ark is where the throne was. It's where the presence was. It's where God rested. But in the New Testament, we are the ark. You are carried. It was, see, it, the, the ark was carried like by people. It was mobile. God's throne moves. When you go into the store, you are carrying the presence of God with you. God rests upon you, and you are pure. He rests upon you. He has sprinkled you with his blood. He has made you clean, and his presence is upon you and within you. And so this idea of this ark, all this Old Testament imagery is a foreshadowing of a New Testament reality that God rests on you and on me. But there's something else in the Old Testament that foreshadows something, and that is what was inside of the ark. There were three things that were placed inside of the ark. And so I want to pull up Hebrews chapter 9. We're just going to read one verse out of this particular spot. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. I'm kind of chopping out a lot of the other sentence part of it because I want to focus on what was inside of the ark. The writer says, which had the golden censer, and it goes, and the Ark of the Covenant was overlaid on all sides with gold. So in it were the golden pot that had the manna. So the first thing is manna. The second thing is Aaron's rod that budded. And finally, there were tablets of the covenant. So we see here there were three things that God wanted inside of the Ark. There are three things that God wants inside of you. You carry the presence of God, but you carry more than that. You carry a testimony. It was called the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. Why is that? Because when you go through a test, God comes through. Now, in the moment, you're cramming, you're freaking out, you're going, and you're panicking because you don't know if God's going to provide, you don't know if God's going to speak, you don't know if God's going to help, you don't know if you have a future, you are scared for your life, you're scared for this, and the Lord comes through, and now your test becomes a testimony. Your testimony is your story. What's your story? Well, your story is not about how great you are and how academic you are and how strong you are. No, your testimony, your story, is you carry stories of God being faithful to you. We carry inside of us stories and examples of things all the time of how God came through in the clutch. God is clutch. Now, I wish he didn't wait till the end to be clutch. But he is clutch. And so looking here, we see there are three things. There's manna, there's uh, the rod, and then there is the Ten Commandments, the, the, you know, the tablet. 
And it was not like, you know, modern-day kids' tablets. It was very rock-like. So we're going to look very briefly. This is, you guys understand, this is very hard for me. Because I feel like a false prophet when I can't dig into the scriptures and give you everything, but I have to tread very lightly today. So even though, so you might be saying to yourself, Daniel, you're, you're missing out so much. This is like a whole month's worth of preaching right here, and I'm going to try to pack it in to a good 25 minutes. So here we go. Do you believe in miracles? I want to look at Exodus chapter 16. And... Uh, this is the first one about the manna. So I'm going to try to, touch, try to touch very lightly on this. All right. This is very quickly after the Israelites have escaped out of Egypt. They have been removed from their slavery, and now they are in the wilderness. God has led them out of slavery into a wilderness. All right, verse 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So what I want you to see here is, first of all, you know, last week, Pastor Timmy talked about how God was our shepherd, and so, so good. The whole series was great, and, but he talked about the Lord is our shepherd. And the reality is, is our shepherd is taking us where we want to go. You want to be where your shepherd is taking you. The problem is, is we oftentimes don't want to go on the path to the final destination that our shepherd is taking us. See, the Lord says, I'm taking you from slavery to the promised land. But in between, there's a wilderness. So the very people who in chapter 15 were like, praise you, God. You opened the Red Sea. You delivered us from Pharaoh, and we're still alive. Praise God. Chapter 16, why did you bring us into the wilderness to die? This is not fair. And we start whining and complaining. And I know when I, when I was a kid, I would look at the Israelites, and what is their problem? They're so dumb. No, no, we're, we're still the same. We haven't changed much. We are whiners and complainers, and probably because we're Americans, we're probably the worst, we're probably the chief of sinners for complaining. But here's the thing. It says that God brought them there and gave them lack. Sometimes God puts you in a place where you lack so he can provide. Does that make sense? But in that process, God is training you and he's uh, testing you because it's very common when we are well-to-do and well-off to not trust in God, but to trust in ourselves, to trust in our bank account, to trust in the security of our job or the security of people around us. When we are wealthy, and I'm not just talking money, listen, you can be wealthy in relationships, you can be wealthy in friends, you can be wealthy in uh, 
just, you know, having good health. I mean, wealth shows up in a lot of ways. But when you're healthy, when you're strong, when you're rich, you have a, we have a tendency to depend and actually think that we, we, we did something to, to deserve it or that we earned it. But the Lord brings them to this place where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train you. I'm going to train you like a ninja here. You're going to learn the ropes of listening to my commands, listening to my ideas, listen to how I roll, because I want to drive out of you that, that slavery spirit. You see, in our lives, we naturally gravitate to a spirit of poverty. A spirit of poverty says, I am my source, or my dad's my source, or Uncle Sam is my source. A spirit of poverty looks outside of God for provision. And that, like I said, I'm not just talking about money. What you need can be found from your source. You might get paid by your, your work. You might have certain people in your life. Who do you think put those people in your life? Who do you think created the vegetables at the grocery store that you may work at or, or whatever. It's like everything comes from God. And when we lose that, God is our source, we start thinking like an orphan. And this is what we're going to see, orphan thinking in this passage. So in verse 7, I'm going to skim through a lot of this. In verse 7, it says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we, that's Moses talking and Aaron, that you complain against us? Also, Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So what I want you to see here is when we complain, we're complaining against God. You might be thinking it's your boss that you're complaining about. You might be your wife you're complaining about. It might be your professor you're complaining about. And I can tell you from a lot of experience, a lot of the things I have complained about were ordained by God. Now at the time, I thought it was the professor's fault. At the time, I thought it was this person's fault. At the time, I thought it was the government's fault. But then I get down the road and I began to see, oh, all that time I was complaining, I was, I was fighting God. God will bring people and circumstances into your life that you do not like, people you do not like. They are like your holy sandpaper. And you think you're complaining against them. That neighbor that won't shovel their walk, that person making the loud noise at one in the morning. None of you guys have those issues, good. But <laughs> the people and the things that we complain about, those circumstances, I, I'm not, I don't believe that everything that happens to us is God's will. I, I do not believe that. I don't believe that's scriptural. But I do believe that a lot that we give credit to the devil or to people, is actually God saying, hey, I'm doing a work in you. I'm bringing you to a place you don't want to be. I am purposely testing you. And what does a test do? A test 
exposes what's in our hearts. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it t- Moses actually talks about God's provision in the wilderness. And he said that God was test- humbling them and testing them to see what was in their heart. So when things don't go the way we don't want them to go, we start complaining. And when we complain, we are exposing what's really inside of us. And God is saying, let's get it out. Let's pull out that toxin of complaining. Because where you're going, you have to learn how to overcome this. And complaining is not just something we do with our mouths. It's something we do in our hearts. And when I have partnered, you know, first I started with trying not to complain, but then I just complained all on the inside. And then that complaining on the inside, I realized, started forming a toxin in my own soul called self-pity. Woe is me. God, I'm, I'm just serving you. Where are you? God, I'm being generous and I'm giving. Where are you? God, I'm doing the right thing and I'm turning the other cheek, but all these other people, and we just, we kind of get that Eeyore complex, like, oh, woe is me. You know, know, and, and, and the Lord's like, you are not an orphan. And you need to break off slavery because slaves think poverty. Slaves think self-pity. Slaves complain because slaves are powerless. Where you're going, you are not powerless. You are royalty. And so you must learn how to not partner with the spirit of poverty or a spirit of self-pity. Boy, this, is, this is really is a whole series. I'm moving on. <laughs> Verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to the, the manna. This is the manna that... that so I, I'm skipping ahead of myself. All right. So there, the Lord literally put manna on the ground every morning, except for Saturdays. So this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather the manna according to each one's need. One omer, which an omer, I guess, is about two quarts for each person. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. Verse 17, then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. So God is giving people a command. Don't store up what I gave you yesterday. Why would they store up? If God goes and says, every day, there's going to be plenty of food. It's going to show up on the ground. You just walk over and you can have this manna. But after the day is over, toss everything that's left. Why would God do that? He's training them to trust him. He's training them to rely upon him. And so... Could you imagine if you have an orphan spirit and you don't know you have a good father in heaven, you think to yourself, what if there's no food tomorrow? What if God's not going to be there for me? I will hoard what I have because I am afraid that tomorrow I won't have enough. 
So verse 20 says, Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Yummy. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, the manna melted. And so it was on the sixth day, that would be Friday, that they gathered twice as much bread, which is what they were supposed to do, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and they told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. That's Saturday. It is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So why is God doing this? God is training them to abstain from working one day a week. Why is that? Because when you have God on your team, you can get seven days work done in six. But if God's not on your team or you think like an orphan, you think you have to be working all the time. You work overtime, you bust your butt. Why? Because I am the provider, right? That's when, when you believe you're the provider or your job is your provider, you, can, you find yourself striving and working too hard for provision. But here we have the Lord saying, listen, I am so good. I'm going to give you guys a day to watch cartoons. It's going to be Saturday morning cartoons. You just, just chill. You do your thing and just... But, but no, the people don't think like God, and so God is renewing their mind. So in verse uh, 27, it says, Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So I want you to see kind of the overarching theme here of the first item that we see in the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony is the manna. God tells them, I want you to collect manna. I want you to put it in this jar, and I want you to put this jar inside of that ark. And I want you to leave it for generations. Hundreds and hundreds. I'm not sure if it got into the thousands, but a long time. A long time that in the ark, which represents us, there's a story. And in this story is God's provision. God is saying, I will provide. I will provide. But in this story is the test. God says, all right, do this. All right, don't do this. God, where are you? And the Lord's just, he's trying to get them ready for the next level. He's trying to prepare them. 
And God's trying to prepare us. You have stories of how God has provided. Now, it may have been a job that God provided, and then that's how you were able to get food. It may have been a time when someone literally gave you money, and that money allowed you to do something that you needed to do. When you receive God's provision, it's not just for the moment. It's so you can carry it. It is a weapon in your arsenal to remind yourself of who your God is. I love how King David, you know, he, you know, he kills Goliath. You know, you've probably heard the story once or twice. David kills Goliath. Goliath falls down. David takes Goliath's sword, chops off his head, and then David has a trophy. And I just picture Goliath having long hair, and that's what makes it more fun to carry a, a head of a long-haired, bearded monster. And then it says that David took it to his tent, and he used it as a footstool. So every day, David looks at this gross skull and says, that's right, my God took you down. I'll put my feet on your head. That's what testimonies are supposed to do. They are to propel you. They are to advance you. So when the crisis hits, you're like, it's going to be okay. I've, I've seen this movie before. And God is going to have your back again. And you use that to not be anxious and to not be worried. So let's move on to the next item. And the next item is found in Numbers chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17. Now, I need to set this up. So, Rich, can you take that off the screen for a moment? Because I want to just kind of briefly set this up. So, Moses is like the top dog of Israel, and Aaron, his brother, God has chosen to be the high priest of the nation. So, Moses and Aaron are pretty much calling the shots. They hear God, and then they tell everybody else what to do. Now, you can imagine with over a million people, that some people don't like the idea of other people telling them what to do. And so in the previous chapter, we, we see all kinds of issues because a lot of leaders of the tribes of Israel were questioning and challenging Moses and Aaron and their leadership. And so, um, so the idea here then is that the rod is the other item that was placed inside the ark. So we're going to read the story of the rod, but understand the context is that there's a lot of bickering about who should be in charge. Okay? Verse 1, number 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods, so 12 rods, write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle, which the tabernacle um, was, was kind of like the temple of God for their day. It was, it was a tent, but it was where the presence of God was. So they put these rods in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony, and he said, where I will meet with you. 
Sorry, where I meet with you. That's where you want to put it. Verse 5, And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. Verse 8, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. That's impressive. That's really impressive. So why would God do that? Why would God do that? Now, first of all, rods represent authority. So they were all bringing their authority into the presence of God. Now, I believe one of the tests and one of the training grounds is for each of us to learn that where God calls you, God will establish you. God will call you to a job. God will call you to a place of serving. God will call you to a place of impact. And wherever God is leading you, God is going to not only equip you, but he is going to make sure it's clear. And it may not happen right away. You might find yourself at a job, at a church, in a leadership role where other people are bucking you. Other people are fighting you because they want the promotion that you got. They want the blessing that you got. But what happens here is Moses and Aaron are not defending themselves. This is so important. This is an important part of all of us to learn. When we understand we've been sent by God, we can trust that God will take care of us and that God will establish everything along the way. So we see here, this rod goes into the presence and it produces, it sprouts, puts forth buds, blossoms show up, and almonds that are ready to be eaten are there. And I want you to see this, because I believe there's more here than I have time to unpack. But a dead stick went into the presence of God and came out with fruit. That is worth the whole day. And I don't even have time to really break it down. But I want you to see that you have been in position where God can exalt you, lift you up, and, and, and make other people listen to you and give you influence and make you fruitful. No matter how dead of stick you might feel you are, listen, if you will get into the presence of God, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. You see, you're, I'm not the source. We have, we have stories of God saying, listen, I will provide for you and I will guide you and I will raise you up and I will make you fruitful. Take that rod with those almonds, put that in the ark, carry it. Why? Because there's gonna be a challenge someday. Sometimes it's about provision, but sometimes it's about you. And sometimes it's not just the people on the outside that are screaming at, hey, you shouldn't be in leadership. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Listen, it's the voices up here. The demonic realm hates your guts. They hate you. You do hear voices. <laughs> I hear voices. Yes, you do. 
you hear voices. And those voices are tearing you down. You're not holy enough. You're not good enough. Why, why do you, you must be prideful to think that you can make that big a difference. And the things that God calls you to do, you war. You war with. And the Lord says, I will establish you. And when I establish you, write it down. Mark it. Carry it. Because we forget. We forget. And finally, we need to move on to Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to talk about the, the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments here for, the mo- for a moment. Exodus chapter 34. Now, Moses already got some stone tablets, and the people of Israel made some big mistakes, and Moses had the kind of anger issues. And he kind of threw, he threw the tablets and broke them, like... Okay, got to do it again. So Moses is going to have a a second round of the Ten Commandments. So Exodus 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. (laughs) So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, And present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you. And let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So God is showing up. So picture the imagery here if you can. God descends in a cloud and is there in a very strong way. And God proclaims his name, which is what Pastor Tim's been preaching about the last couple of months. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed Yahweh or Jehovah, and every time you see capital L-O-R-D, that's actually the name Yahweh or Jehovah. So a uh, different translation. He goes, merciful, so this God's defining himself. I am merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he is having an amazing, epic encounter with God, and God is revealing himself. God is saying, Moses, you are my friend, and I'm going to show you a piece of myself that all of humanity has never seen before. And he proclaims his name. He manifests his presence. He reveals his goodness and his character and his identity. And in that moment, God really meets with Moses to the point that he starts to glow. Moses is almost like radioactive. He's glowing Moses. And I want to go down to verse 29 where it says, Now it was so... When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. 
So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Could you imagine? It's probably, you know, it's like darkness, and all of a sudden this glowing human being, 100 yards away. Do you just scream? Do you run? I mean, what do you do with that? And then Moses is like, guys, come back. Come back. It's okay. It's me. You know, I, I can only imagine. So they, he had to put a veil over his face because he was glowing. So fun. I, I just love this story. But, but I want you to see here, just a moment. What I want you to see here is God tells Moses, put those tablets in the ark. Well, why would God want that in the ark? Well, like I said, it's like a whole sermon in itself. But I believe that one of the things the Lord was, was kind of highlighting to me was the idea that God showed up and met Moses on the mountaintop, right? And a lot of times we as Christians, when you encounter God, it's a, we call it a mountaintop experience. And God meets you and in that time of God meeting you, you begin to see what God's really like. Like if you, like, and there are different measures of God revealing himself to you. Some people have literally seen, you know, kind of more with their physical eyes. Some people have felt God. But if you've ever, if you've ever encountered God, and you should, it's really great. What happens on the mountaintop is you get a, a, a more clear picture of what God's really like. And you see here that he said that he's merciful. God's merciful. God's gracious. God is long-suffering, which means he will suffer for a long time. He's abounding in goodness. God is abounding in it. He's abounding in truth. He's not a liar. God keeps mercy. He forgives iniquity. And he goes on and on explaining how God doesn't let guilty people off the hook either because he's God of justice. He's saying, this is what I'm really like. And he's like, wow. And then he goes back, and then we find out from uh, the prophet, uh, the prophet, the apostle Paul, he talks about how the glow started to fade. You see, we have mountaintop experiences, and we say, I'll never turn away from God. God, you are so holy. You are so wonderful. You're worth giving it all to. And when we encounter God in that way, we trust him and we depend on him and he's all that. And we just, we're full of faith. And as we come down, day after day, the glow begins to wear off. And in those times, you begin to wonder, God, I thought you were good. I thought you were telling me the truth because right now, God, it feels like I'm in pain and it feels like you lied to me. Or God, I know you're there for me, but right now I do not feel you at all. And it's in those moments that we have to go with our memory. This is essential. This is essential because when you're down in the valley, it is not the same as a mountaintop. And we are not designed to live on the mountaintop. The mountaintop is your fuel. You, we are called to steward it. So God says, listen, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not. 
My word will not pass. So you take my word, which is represented in these Ten Commandments on these tablets. You take my word, you take what I've told you, both in Scripture and in your experience, and you remember, and you remember, and you remember. So when we talk about reading the Bible every day, we are not just talking fluff. We're talking about survival because we lose our glow. And so we take that and we put it in the ark. And when we go through hell and when we don't know what to do and we can't hear God's voice, we remember when he provided, we remember when he established us, and we remember when he spoke to us and when he met with us. And that is what we hold on to in our pain in our crisis and if we do not store it if we do not hold it when all hell breaks loose we are cramming for the test because we're not equipped we are not equipped we are panicking we are anxious we should probably stand uh can i get yeah the keyboard yes thank you i need that let's make this sound good Somebody's got to help. If I could have the prayer team come to the front. I know I just crash landed this plane. It's like, whatever. Just get a parachute. <laughs> so, so seriously, in just a moment, you know, I'm going to, I am going to land this plane a little bit more gradually, but I'm going to pray and we're going to prepare our hearts. But I want to encourage you if, you, if you need prayer, don't miss out on this moment. For some of you, this is probably the most important part of your day, most important part of the service, is sometimes God puts the answer that we need in another Christian. And he does that because he wants us to partner with one another. God does not want us to just be me and Jesus. God wants us to help one another and to partner with one another. So if you're here and you've been going through some stuff or you need someone to pray for you or to agree with you, please make sure you get prayer when I'm done praying and come up to the front and, and, and get prayer. But let's just take a moment and pray and let's prepare our hearts because most likely some of what I said stuck more than others. And I don't want you to just hear God's word and then walk away and forget what you heard. So let's take a moment to extract what God said that applies to you the most and you need to hold on to that thing. So Father God, we come before you and God, I thank you that your word is alive and it speaks to the very circumstances we are in right now. Lord, for those that need you to be their provider, God, I pray that you would give them that kind of faith right now to trust you. And God, for those that maybe you're calling to do something, but they don't feel equipped or they don't feel established, God, I pray you take away that responsibility of trying to prop themselves up. And finally, Lord, for those that have been questioning what you did or what you said, God, I ask that you would speak again and that you would reestablish your word in our lives.
God, we believe you are I am that I am. You are everything we need you to be. You will not fail us. You will not forsake us. Increase our faith, Lord, and help our memory. And I pray, God, for those that have just been going through hell. God, I pray that you would breathe your breath on every person. I I just release the grace of Jesus over you and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. God, touch your people for those in-house and for those online. God, I pray right now that you would touch your people wherever they're at with whatever they need in a special way with your love and with your grace right now in the name of Jesus. God, we declare that you are good. We accept you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Just tell the Lord out loud, Lord, I trust you. We believe you, Lord. We can count on you and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Have a great week.